0: This is week six in our Genesis series. We are in Genesis chapter three and we've broken it down into two parts. Verse one to 13, which we looked at last week. We'll be thinking about again this week, but we're gonna be adding verses 14 to 19 as we close off, ready for our final lesson uh, in two weeks time, which will set us up for Christmas. It'll set us up for thinking about who Jesus is, why he came, and what he came to do the title for this week's lesson is hide and seek so as i've said we're in genesis chapter three we're basically doing the bulk of chapter three we're just missing off the last few verses which is what we'll do in the final lesson like I've just said, the title of it is Hide and Seek. It's a proper cheesy name. I think that's what like a preacher would definitely call their sermon. But it's fairly self-explanatory. Um, makes a lot of sense, especially when we've already thought about what happened last time in chapter 3. The big idea in this lesson is to see that there are consequences for sin. Everything now is distorted and broken as a result of the sin of the humans. Their relationships between one another are broken, The relationship between the humans and the creation are broken. The world, by when I say creation, I mean the the land, the home, the space that God had been creating previously. There is now an active enemy at war against the humans. But ultimately, the relationship between the humans and God is broken. That's all as a result, the consequence for their sin. So this week, I want us just to remember something, uh, big. We've been touching on it every single time we've done a record. I've done a recording, or we've been coming to a lesson, to remember that this is an animated overview of the overall human condition. This isn't just the story of two people. This story helps us understand an overarching lesson. That these characters are archetypes, their pictures, their motifs and that this is a part of the overall big story. This isn't the entire story. We're going to consider what Paul says in Romans in a minute, and he wants to make that point. We need to remember it because this is showing us something about ourselves in a great sense, but it's also setting up the story for God's dealings with humanity. This story develops and will begin to unfold in more detail, which we can then... Begin to properly understand from Genesis chapter 12 onwards. All of that might not make sense. It might require a separate chat to get in, so get in touch if that needs explaining. But that'll be the difference between a 15 minute recording and a two hour one. The reason I'm saying all of that is because, in preparation, though we may not even discuss it with the young people at this stage, please take some time to read Romans chapter 5 this week. Then just keep reading on through the other chapters if you've got time. Romans is boss. If you find it hard to read, the Streetlights app reads it so well. I find the story so easy to follow when they read it back to me. But for the sake of being concise, here's a clip from the Bible Project's overview of Romans to help thinking through Romans chapter 5 and how that helps us understand what's taken place in Genesis chapter 3.
1: Paul's letter to the Romans. Check out the first video where we explored who Paul was, why he wrote this letter, and where we trace the core ideas of chapters 1 through 4. That all humanity is hopelessly trapped in sin and needs to be rescued. That this rescue is not going to happen by people trying to obey the laws of the Torah. Rather, God's righteous character has moved him to rescue the world through Jesus' death and resurrection so that he could create a faith-based, multi-ethnic family of Abraham as his people. Now, in the remaining three movements of the letter to the Romans, Paul is going to develop these ideas even more. So, remember, Paul's exploration of justification by faith, that when people trust Jesus' death and resurrection was for them, they're given a new status, the right with God, they're placed in a new family, the covenant people of Abraham, and they're given a new future, the hope of a transformed life. Now Paul wants to show how this reality should reshape every part of our existence because being in this family means being a part of a new humanity that God is creating through Jesus and the Spirit. So Paul goes back to the first human character of the biblical story, Adam. His name means humanity. And Adam, like all humanity after him, has chosen sin and selfishness. And so everyone faces God's judgment because we've become slaves to sin's influence resulting in death. But then Paul contrasts Adam with Jesus, who he says is the new Adam, a human who lived in faithful obedience to God, shown through his act of sacrificial love. And now Jesus offers his life as a gift to others so that they can be justified before God. And so Jesus stands as the head of a new humanity that is being transformed by this gift, which leads him to chapter 6. Paul reminds these Christians in Rome that choosing to follow Jesus means leaving their old Adam-like humanity and entering into the new Jesus-like humanity. And their baptism was a sacred symbol of that transition. Their old humanity died with Jesus and their new humanity was raised with him from the dead. So when a person trusts in Jesus, their life becomes joined to his life.
0: What's true of him is now true of them. So then, with all that in mind, we've obviously thought last week about the beginning of Genesis chapter 3, connecting it to this idea that this is not, it's not just merely symbolic, but by saying that it almost just makes this myth or legend, it's not, Um, it's presenting us with a big idea to be constantly applying to the story of the Bible, but then to the reality as we find it, that we experience, that we're living in. um. We want to see that this isn't just the story of Adam and Eve, rather this is the story of humanity, this is what it means to be human. So let's think through then uh, the chapter. Things to consider for this week's lesson, we're developing on the same lesson as last week. Last week we considered the choice that was available to the humans, the choice that's available to us, will we trust God, will we trust ourselves, will we trust his word, Or will we trust our desires, what feels right, what feels good? One brings true life, the other leads to death. This week we build on that and we consider the reality. We all choose to trust our desires over God. The humans in the story, humanity as a whole, has chosen to trust itself rather than trust and obey God. As a result then, we are dead and our relationship with each other and our relationship with God is broken. And as a result, last week we considered the choice that is available to us. Will we trust God? Will we trust ourselves? Will we trust his word and obey his command, his rule, his law? Or will we serve our own desires, our will, over his? One brings true life, the other brings death that was the that was the dilemma that was what was presented last week trust god and live disobey and trust ourselves and it will lead to death this week we want to consider the reality that we all choose to trust our desires over god just like the humans in genesis chapter 3 as a result we now are dead and our relationship with god is broken our relationship with one another is broken And we are, well, again, preempting next week's lesson, the final lesson, cut off from the source of life. They were cut off from the tree of everlasting life and God's presence in the garden. So one of the first things to consider and think about is this. Sin, a rebellion against God, not trusting and obeying him and instead choosing to trust and serve our own desires brings about insecurity. When you think about the word insecurity, it means a lack of or no security. Security meaning safety. In a place in a a world that God has created, a home that He's prepared for them where they f- should feel safe and secure. now they're hiding. they're covering themselves so that each other and God can't see them. They want to run and hide behind a false sense of security these coverings that they make for themselves, this hiding in a bush or up a tree somewhere. Remember, God didn't say the day that you eat of the tree that I've commanded you not to, you best run and hide or you'll start to turn on one another. Rather, it happens, again, with the knowledge that comes from knowing whether we've trusted God or not, this knowledge of good and evil. It reveals to us something about ourselves it reveals something to us about each other. And in light of God, it reveals something that we now know to be true of ourselves that God also knows. And it's shame, it's guilt, it's fear. And so it brings insecurity. So that's that's the. We, we see a pattern, we see a picture of that in them running and hiding and covering themselves. Remember, this isn't just about speci- uh, disobeying specific commands. This isn't just. Don't do that thing and then when you do, you'll be ashamed. It's more nuanced than that. This is, again, a picture and an image. Whenever we choose to uh, trust our desires over and against what God has commanded us to do or when we've trusted ourselves rather than trusting God, it will always lead to a form of insecurity because security and life are found in God. Next thing to consider, we find that God, though, is seeking the sinful humans. He doesn't just leave them to it. fully aware of what they've done. He could just kind of get off. He could just leave them to it. He could just smite them, destroy them, kill them. Rather, what's the pattern? What's the motif? What's the story teaching us and showing us? God seeks the humans. He comes looking for them and he calls them by name. God isn't finished with them, knowing full well what they've done. God comes looking for them in the place where previously they've enjoyed their relationship together. Big picture that's going to sort of unfold in the bit that follows uh, the new verses that we're going to be looking at this week. Just before we get to them, though, when God does then interact with the humans, when he does go through what's happened with them, what how do they respond? When God comes looking. He finds them hiding. When they then interact, rather than confess, rather than say sorry, rather than try and restore the relationship, not that they could have done, but not that they even had a desire to, they blame each other. The man blames the woman, the woman blames the serpent. And again, here we see that pattern or that picture of insecurity, this fear now that lingers within the hearts of the humans. So the picture is one of now brokenness. Relationships where people are hiding, running away, they're not confessing, they're not saying sorry. But God's desire still is to be with the humans, is to come and find them, is to come and interact with them and seek to have a relationship with them. Yet now that relationship is broken, which brings us on to verses 14 and 20. Here we find the consequences the rebellion of the humans. We see that God gives his judgment, his verdict as the judge, as the loving rulemaker who decides right and wrong and what's best. He declares that the serpent, the enemy, is cursed. But what we then begin to see in these verses is there is an active enemy at war against the humans, the seed of this enemy. But that one day there will be a human, seed of the woman, who's going to wage war with the serpent and his seed and stamp on his head. The picture here, the idea here, is one of victory over him at a cost to himself. The human that will appear one day to bruise the head of the serpent. Now again, take that as a picture. If you bruise the head of a serpent you kill it (laughs) if you stamp on its head it's dead that's what's to come but in doing so it will harm the human in some way or form it will cost the human if you like uh, something as he does it now again we can jump right ahead but that's not the point that's not what we're to do that's not what israel could have done they had to stew on this idea that one day there will be a human to come who will take on this enemy who has brought about the death of mankind, who's brought about this broken relationship between each other and between God. But God is promising that one day there will be a human who's going to ultimately defeat him. Now, I've made a huge jump there. We know the rest of the story. But these are just some things for us to consider of what we see when God is interacting with the humans in the, the, the sort of last part of this chapter the big thing though for us to consider and keep in mind is this idea that there are consequences for our sin we want to help our young people realize sinning isn't incidental the reason that that's not the case is because there is a god we need to remind our young people over and over again who live in a world as it where it would appear as if god doesn't exist The films they watch, the programs they watch, the things they listen to, the environment they live in in school would teach them and have them believe that there is no God. Therefore, if we just get to decide right and wrong, sin then is incidental. As a result, there is no such thing as sin or rebellion. The point that the Bible wants to make very, very clear is when God says the day you eat of the fruit you shall die, they're dead. Everything is broken. The same is true for us. We just need to dwell on that kind of idea. The judgment for sin disrupts the role and the purpose of the humans. When God gives his verdict and his judgment to the humans, to the man, it's that your work on the earth now will be arduous, will be taxing, it will hurt you, it will come at a cost to you. To the woman in childbirth, it's now going to kill. It's going to be painful. It may well be the end of you. Now, remember what the promises were of the, perp- or the you know, the outline for the purpose of the humans, their design. It was to rule over the earth and subdue it, to draw out its potential. It's a brilliant creation. Now, go and master it. Uh, you know, go and draw out the, the, the beauty and the creativity that I've laced it with and fill it with life just as god prepared the space and then filled it with life now humans bear in the image prepare the space and fill it with life and they're the two things then that god says are you know there are now judgments that have uh, ruined them and distorted them and disrupted them the creation is now at war against you and bringing life into it is going to be a struggle and hard all as a consequence now they're not just the two things (laughs) that have been broken, are they? So things to consider, it's the implications of those two things that our purpose, that our image bearing now is distorted and broken as a result. So think through and consider, not just, because we're not all called to be gardeners, are we? We're not all called to have children. It's a about what it means to be a human in this space now that God has created it's all fragmented and broken now still if that is triggering or if that brings about more questions than it does either ideas or responses please give me a ring I would love to discuss that part of it that's something that I've genuinely been thinking through for the last sort of couple of years so whilst I haven't got answers I've got a lot of ideas I'd love to chat through that part a bit more with you And then, last thing, just to consider, the next lesson, the last one before Christmas, we'll ask, is there hope? As the humans are cast out of God's presence next week, it's not going to look like there is. Even at this point, we need to rethink a lot of what we presume about Christmas, but that's for another time. The big lesson for our final week is going to be to provide the answer, yes, there is hope. It all seems broken. The consequences of our sin are great, but we don't just want to jump there yet. I think how the best way to end this lesson is to just end it on this truth or this idea that there are consequences for our sin. We are broken. Our relationships between each other are broken and suffer as a result of our brokenness. The relationship between us and God is broken. We are now dead before him and the creation itself has turned on us. As a result of our sin, we look at the world around us, we might not be personally responsible for everything that's gone wrong in the world, but we are a part of this creation as humans. It's humanity which is the picture. By turning its back on God, by rebelling against God, deciding right and wrong for for itself, we end up where we are, in a place of death and brokenness. Cue Jesus, cue Christmas, in our next lesson. Okay then, well to close, a few points of application. The first one, as we've said, overkill, there are consequences to sin between each other and God. So be thinking through again where it's useful for your group, what those consequences look like for no other reason than just to make the point and help our young people see that that is true, that there is truth in that, that what this story is teaching us is true it may well just be the case that they've not actually considered the fact that there are consequences for sin the the major consequence the overarching consequence the wage of sin is death it's being cut off from the source of life from God himself we need to be drawing out applications and implications of what that means there are levels of guilt and shame and accusation between the humans and between ourselves. The relationship and the system is broken. Something isn't right. It's not how it was designed and intended to be. I think when it comes to the creation and the nature aspect, our young people are acutely aware of that. But it's helping them see that the relationships between themselves and the parents or their siblings or their peers or opposition groups i.e right wing left wing how liberal we are or you know what social media will try and draw out from us and pit us against each other all of these things are a consequence of our sin so you know your group be thinking through maybe some of the implications and what that means for them the second point of application to be thinking about and drawing out for our young people is making them aware of the fact Someone's knocking on me door. What? Right, say something to the microphone then. If you're going to disrupt me, I want to hear you speak. Go on. Brief interruption from Thomas there. Sorry. The point I was making was to make our young people aware. Make our young people aware of the fact God is aware. How many times can you say aware within ten seconds? But that God is aware of their sin. <laughs> There's no point running away, even though we do run and hide. God is aware. God sees. God knows. There's a danger in doing that. I think there's a, a, we've got to be very responsible in the way that we do that. The point of doing that is not just to fill the young people with guilt or with dread or with fear. That's the opposite of what we should be doing. It's supposed to disarm them. So we don't want to pile on the pressure on the young people to feel an overbearing sense of guilt as a result of knowing that God sees yet they still sin rather there should be freedom and release in the fact God sees you yet he still seeks after you he loves you he wants a relationship with you we still need to kind of build on this idea though so what is the solution running and hiding doesn't help coming out and exposing it doesn't help either In order for the relationship to be restored, the sin needs to be dealt with. We just want to help our young people see that, realise that. So it's not for us to pile the pressure on. We just need to help them see hiding is of no use. We're all boss of hiding. I'm a boss blagger. Let's help our young people stop being blaggers and be honest and open. Far more honest than the generations that have gone before them. I love in the New Testament when you get to Jesus I'm now rambling. He loved Mary the prostitute whose sin was out in the open. There was nothing left for her to hide therefore she just fell at Jesus feet and washed them. Brilliant. Whereas the Pharisees who were sitting around who had seen didn't have an ounce of sin in them, who were prim and proper and blameless and perfect God could see right through that, could see their sin and he rejected them. Jesus spoke Spent his time rebuking the Pharisees for hiding their sin and present themselves as whitewashed tombs. There's a lesson in there for our young people. All of this, remember, started with this stark truth, which was the lie from the serpent, from the enemy. And this, I suppose, is kind of what wraps up all of our application, all of our thinking up until this point in the lesson, which was this. He said to the woman, You will not surely die. Application then. Constantly we are thinking when we sin. Constantly when we are actually not even consciously sinning, but when we might unwittingly be rejecting God's rule. In our head, whether it's subconsciously, whether it's because we're drowning out the voices or the noise, because we're listening to a culture tell us, you will not surely die if you do this thing. Rather, you will enjoy life. The life that God is keeping from you, you will get to enjoy and experience. Don't trust him. Think through the areas in life where we are taught this or taught to believe that. All sin leads to death. So they're the things to be thinking through for this week's lesson. There are some notes to follow which are basically bullet points of... Some of the things that I've mentioned there, please get in touch if you want to discuss anything. You've got any questions, you want to think through any ideas. But we're setting this up with a bit of a grim or uh, unsettling end. Next week is, or the next lesson is going to get even bleaker in a sense. Because we see in its fullness, in its totality, us being cut off from God. But again, the handy timing of it is to set us up for Christmas whereby we remember what God did to deal with the sin that keeps us from him. His purpose for creation in the first instance was to dwell with us, live with us, in a relationship with us, in a home that he's prepared, where we will enjoy life. The grim reality of the Genesis account, of the situation that we find ourselves in here, even in 2021 is, that's not what we're experiencing. At Christmas, we remember what God did, how God in himself dealt with the thing that's separating us from him, how God dealt with the sin that destroys us, that brings about death. So even though it might not feel overly hope filled and feel free to lace this with little glimpses of hope, little truths and nuggets to encourage us, remember that the whole of the story matters even if it means spending a little bit of time thinking about things which aren't overly pleasant and might at times feel helpful. This was a little bit longer than it was supposed to be, but it's not the night before. You've got a few days to listen to and think about it, so hopefully that helps a little bit. Nice one.